Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, Olivia, it's wonderful to see you. I usually ask you how your week has been, but I wanted to take a moment and just ask you, are you aware that this is episode number 50 of Check the Locks? That's insane. 50 episodes? It's crazy, but it makes sense because we're about to be at our year anniversary. So there's only 52 weeks in a year. Yeah, we are coming up at one year and, you know, with the short on time episodes, like we're probably closer to like 80 episodes, but just 50 full check the locks episode. It was kind of crazy when I was getting ready to record today and get my notes and everything in order. I was like, I cannot believe we've been doing this for almost a year. This is insane. I know. It's so wild. Not in my imagination did I ever think that we would be doing this podcast still. People would be listening. We would still be gaining followers at this point. But I'm proud of you, John. So thank you. I'm proud of you, too. You know, I'm right there with you. I thought when we did this, it was going to be like we do it for a couple of months and maybe be fun and stuff like that. And you always have this fear of like, I'm signing up for this thing, but it's a lot of commitment. And is it going to fizzle out? And luckily for us, like we both really enjoy doing it. And more importantly, I think we've found an audience who enjoys what we do. And that is what I think I'm the most thankful for. Cause oh, yeah. I know we've talked about it before, but when we started, we we're like, nobody's going to listen to this. Mm-mm, never. You know, we were just going to be doing this as our little hobby. I mean, it is our hobby, but I didn't think anybody would listen other than like mom. Yeah. You know, shout out to all the moms. What's up, Trish? <laughs> but shout out to all the moms that are listening. But it was just one of those things where there's so many true crime podcasts out there that I was like, 
we'll be lucky if maybe a few people listen and seeing the way that this community has grown and that people have gotten involved and all the positivity in the Facebook group and, and really the sense of community that has formed because of this show is one of the best things ever happened in my life. So I want to say thank you, Olivia, for taking this crazy trip with me. But if you were listening to the show and you support what we do and, and you're one of those people who's been on this ride with us, it just means so much. So thank you so much for everything. And, you know, here's to the next 50, 150, however many more. But I, you know, I just love doing this. Yeah, me too. And I reciprocate everything that you just said. And I have friends in town this week. And so I was telling them, you know, they were asking how the podcast was going and <clears throat> they stole a couple of stickers and magnets and things. But I was like, y'all, this is just wild to me because we look and we see where our listeners are coming from. And like, just to know that there's like a few random people in all these like, you know, smaller countries, like listening to our podcast is just like mind blowing. Yeah. Listening in like Iraq yeah. and Australia. Like I it's think crazy we have two think. listeners in Iran, Australia. Um, I think we got Denmark. We got places all over. Yeah. It's crazy to think that like somewhere in the Middle East, somebody is just listening to us talk about, you know, mummified. Mummified. <laughs> weird mummy-fied. things, you know what I mean? But yeah, again, it's just an absolutely amazing feeling and, and just can't say thank you enough. And now, Olivia, how is your week been? How are you doing? It's wonderful to see you. My week is great. We're about to start Jazz Fest up. I cannot wait. Um, work's been really busy, but overall, it's been it's been good. I had company this week, so got to catch up with some old friends. I know you haven't been feeling quite yourself this week, but how's your week? This has kind of been a hell week for me. I am currently recording this episode with bronchitis. I got a steroid shot in the butt cheek today. Um, so it might and- be like John on caffeine here in a little bit. Yeah, kind of when it, I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure you've gotten one, but I think I'm overly sensitive to that stuff Mm -hmm. because literally within five minutes of getting that shot, I felt like I had lightning bolts coming out of my fingers. Like my whole body was tingling (laughs) and the nurse and the doctor were like, you shouldn't be feeling it that fast. And I was like, I am, I'm really feeling it. (laughs) I'm sweating. I can't sit down. I got to keep going. Yeah. So I am uh, incredibly sick. So if you hear me sniffling, I'm going to try to use my mute button as efficiently as possible today. But I'm sick. And then in addition to that, it's been the hottest week we've had so far in Tennessee this spring coming into the summer. So either our air conditioner or a thermostat has gone out. So I am currently stuffed up beyond belief. My throat hurts and I'm sweating bullets. So <laughs> should be a fun uh, couple episodes we record tonight, but they're coming tomorrow and getting everything fixed. And like I said, this is 50 episodes in. I've got so much to celebrate that like the sweat on my back, I'm just letting it roll <laughs> off my shoulders. So You're so punny. Well, tell me what you got this week. Yeah, well, this week, I had never heard about this case. And as I dove into it, there's just a lot of twists and turns. And I think a lot of abuse of power and things of that nature. So I was really interested to cover it with you and the listeners. And I was wondering, you know, if you had gotten a chance to take a look at my notes, did this look like anything familiar to you? This name doesn't look familiar and kind of this timing of my life. Like I was like a freshman in high school, just based off like what I can see for the year. So like probably wasn't really into like what was happening in the news, even if it was a big case. But no, the name doesn't look familiar. 
Okay, gotcha. Well, yeah, this was one that I hadn't really been too familiar with, and I stumbled across it, and I was like, I definitely want to talk about this. So I think it'll be really interesting. I'm I'm definitely pumped to see what you think about it, what the listeners think about it, and uh, to go ahead and call it out like we did last week. I don't know, should we do enough of the yada yadas and get into the murder, murder? <laughs> what do you think? I saw that today. That was so funny. But yes, get into the murder, murders. All right. So this week, we are headed to the University of Missouri. Now, fun fact, MU was founded in 1839, and it was the first public university west of the Mississippi River. To put it into context, in 2021, the university had about 31,404 students enrolled, and they offered over 300 different degree programs. Students not only loved the area, but the nightlife that it had to offer. Now, on the morning of June 5th, 2004, that day started like any other. Students left their dorms or campus housing to head out for class. And as some students walked, they noticed a male lying in the grass. He was between two houses and only wearing his boxer shorts. Now, naturally, the students believed the young man had enjoyed a little too much fun the night before and had passed out drunk in the grass. But when they approached the seemingly sleeping man, they made a terrifying discovery. He was dead. The police were notified and the man was identified shortly after. His name was Jesse James Wade Valencia. Jesse was born on February 22nd, 1981 in Perryville, Kentucky. His parents, Lupe and Linda, divorced when Jesse was only a baby. And because of this, Jesse spent most of his time as a child with his mother. Now, along with his mother, Jesse would also spend time on his grandparents' rural Kentucky farm. As a teenager, Jesse shared with his mother that he was gay. And as a loving mother, Linda accepted her son without condition. And in a strange twist, Jesse also shared with his mother that he believed he would die at a young age. He couldn't really explain why, but he just had this ominous feeling. And as he grew into adulthood, Jesse was handsome and charismatic. After high school, he spent time working as a male model before moving to Columbia, Missouri for school. At the time of his death, Jesse was a junior, and he spent most of his time studying pre-law and journalism. And he had hoped to one day be an attorney. But like most other students, Jesse enjoyed the nightlife. He would attend parties and visit bars. And Jesse had a lot of friends and spent his time playing the field as he wasn't really prone to settling down at that age. Now, when police received the call, they may have initially believed that the cause of death may have been alcohol-related, but when they arrived, they found a much grislier scene. Jesse had been murdered. There were signs that he had been strangled and his throat was slit with a serrated blade, and immediately, questions about the who and the why began to swirl. In fact, some believe that the attack may have been a hate crime. Now, while the university was made up of a diverse student body, not everyone in the community would be accepting of Jesse. Bruising on the body led investigators to believe that Jesse had fought back against his attacker. Additionally, Randy Boehm, the Columbia chief of police, believed that Jesse had run away from his attacker. To Boehm, this explained why the body was found seven houses down from his own. Now, in an attempt to try to understand what could have possibly happened, police began interviewing Jesse's friends and family. As they spoke with the people close to him, detectives heard a startling story. One of Jesse's friends had shared that Jesse had been sexually involved with a Columbia, Missouri police officer. The friend recalled being with Jesse at his apartment and engaging in sexual activity with him. It was then that the officer showed up at Jesse's home. Now, the friend told detectives that he remembered the officer making him nervous. And according to the source, the officer then asked Jesse, is your friend okay with this before joining the pair in bed? Now, afterward, the officer made Jesse and his friend vow to keep what had happened a secret. And finally, the friend remembered Jesse being angry with the officer sometime after. And Jesse had told this friend that he was going to out him to the police department. 
So Olivia, I don't know about you, but as I was going through this, I was like, this is getting a little salacious. And if this is going where I think it's going, this is already kind of a crazy story. So where's your mind at as we're jumping in? Well, right now I'm thinking that uh, Jesse outs the police officer and then he retaliates and kills Jesse. And he's probably smart enough to know how to like make a crime scene. That's where I'm going right now. Well, let's keep going and see if you are right. Now, when the witness was asked if he remembered the officer's name, he said Anderson. But the two officers with that last name on the fourth didn't match the description that the witness had given. But one of the Andersons had reported that his badge had been stolen in the recent past. Now, at this point, detectives were obviously intrigued. If Jesse's murder had anything to do with someone in their ranks, they needed to know. And investigators began to compile photos of all of the officers currently working in the department. It was then that the witness was called back to the station, and when asked to look through the photo book, he replied, I don't need to. We just passed him in the hall. What the heck? Right? Uh, I'm kind of glad it wasn't as straightforward as I had imagined, but what in the world? Okay, keep going. Yeah, now the man that the witness identified was Officer Stephen Rios. Now, at the time, Rios was 27 years old and roughly a two-year veteran of the Columbia Police Department. Additionally, Rios was married and had a newborn son at home. And when detectives began to pull records, they found that Rios had arrested Jesse Valencia in April of that year. So remember, when we went to the start, Jesse was found dead in June, June 5th, and Officer Rios had arrested him in April, so just a month prior. Yeah, so how was how this going from a, an arrest meet cute to a having sexual relations threesomes with his friend to then being murdered. I Okay. Yeah. I got so many questions. Keep going. Oh yeah. Now, according to the report, Rios had arrested Jesse while on the scene of a loud party. It was there that Jesse began to cause a scene and officer Rios took him into custody. Now, while interviewing Jesse's friends, they learned that Rios asked him several personal questions while in the police car. And then according to Jesse's friends, officer Rios later offered to have the arrest removed from his record in return for sexual favors. Now, what's also interesting is that Jesse had told his mother about his relationship with Rios, and she shared that at first he was excited about it, but things quickly changed. According to people who knew Jesse, he believed Rios was stalking him. And as the investigation continued, two potential scenarios began to emerge. The first was that Jesse had engaged in multiple sex acts with Officer Rios, only to find that his record wouldn't be expunged as promised. The second was that Jesse had feelings for Rios, but became upset when he learned that he was in fact married and again had a newborn child at home. But both scenarios had one common thread. Jesse was upset and he was going to tell the leadership at the police department. It was at this point in the investigation that detectives knew that they had to interview Stephen Rios. And when they initially asked the officer if he had had a sexual relationship with the victim, he categorically denied it. According to Rios, he had arrested Jesse Valencia, but that was it. But when detectives shared that they had a witness, surprise, surprise, Rios' story quickly began to change. It was then that Rios admitted to having a sexual relationship with the victim on at least six different occasions, and three of these interactions were while Rios was on duty. But when questions began to arise about Jesse's murder, Rios continued to claim that he was innocent. According to Rios, on the night of the murder, he had worked, had some drinks with a few fellow officers, and then went home. And his wife said that she had been preparing a bottle when Rios arrived home that evening. His clothes didn't seem to be disheveled, and they were free of any blood. So before we go any further, where's your head at now, Olivia? 
I don't know if that was just a casual sentence or if his wife is really being this casual about this incident. Well, we'll dig into it a little bit further as we go on in his relationship with his wife. But I think they were just kind of questioning her about the night. Okay. And she was like, yeah, he came home. Like he didn't, nothing looked out of place. I mean, somebody's throat was slit. So you would imagine if I slit someone's throat that there'd be blood everywhere. I don't know. This is just really wild. I don't have any guesses anymore. So I just need to keep hearing and get my questions answered. All right. Well, a neighbor of Jesse's did remember hearing him arguing with someone outside, but he admitted to police that he was intoxicated and he couldn't provide an exact time. And thanks to his wife and fellow officers, Rio's alibi seemed to check out. However, things still didn't sit right with detectives. According to his fellow officers, Rios was known for carrying a large serrated knife. But when asked if he owned any type of weapon of that nature, Rios denied it. And in fact, a search warrant of Rios's home failed to turn up any such blade or other evidence for that matter. However, evidence collected at the scene of the crime didn't fare as well for Rios. First, DNA evidence was found under Jesse's nails that was a match to Rios. Now, you may be thinking, you know, hey, he admitted to having a sexual relationship with him. You know, maybe that's how the DNA got under his fingers. But Rios had told detectives that he had not seen Jesse in roughly six days. And according to Jesse's friends, he was very cleanly. He would shower often and frequently wash his hands. So I don't know about you, but if I haven't seen somebody in six days and I'm washing my hands, you know, you're a nurse. How many times do you wash your hands a day? 3,000. Right. And you're not just like, I'm singing the happy birthday song, but you're like getting under your knee, like you're, you know, you're cleaning them, cleaning them. You know what I mean? So if this person's doing the same kind of cleansing, I'm sure six days, you're going to be getting all that stuff out of there. At least that's how it felt to me. Yeah. So the likelihood of that DNA being under his fingernails for that six days was low at best. Now, what was also interesting was that Jesse's body was found lying face up with blood pooling underneath him. This indicated that Jesse was strangled and then his throat was slit in a manner that led to the blood flowing horizontally. And what I mean by that is the way that his throat was slit, he had no blood on his torso or his face. It was slit and everything came from the sides. So that means he would have had to bend on his back. Now, while investigating the body, the medical examiner also found two hairs on Jesse's shaved chest. And who do you think these hairs were a match to? Rios. Rios. And what is extra interesting about this is that the hairs were still attached to the root. So Jesse pulled Rios's hair. Right. Because normally we think about like, you know, your hair falls out. It's not yeah. coming out with a root. But exactly that. detectives. You believe pull that your it, hair out. You have a root. Yep. A hundred percent. So just like you said, detectives believe that it may have happened when Jesse was actually fighting back, trying to save his own life. So it was at this point that the prime suspect in the murder of Jesse Valencia became Officer Stephen Rios. And because of that, he was placed on leave. Now, while he did confess to the affair, he denied being involved with the murder. And shortly after being named a suspect, Rios purchased a shotgun and threatened to take his own life. It was then that he was taken into custody and placed into a mental health facility. But while in that facility's care, Rios escaped again. And this time he made his way to the top of a parking structure and threatened to kill himself again. And to investigators, these suicide attempts seemed to be an admission of guilt. And in my research, what I was finding is, you know, if you're attempting to kill yourself, you don't do that because you had an affair. You typically do that because there's some higher level of guilt associated with with what you've done, you know? Oh, 100 percent. Now, Rios has said that it was because he had been outed publicly as a homosexual. And not only had he been outed, but he was also outed and having this affair with his on his wife and things like that. But detectives really weren't buying it. 
And on July 1st, 2004, Stephen Rios was arrested and charged with the murder of Jesse Valencia. Now, his trial would begin May of 2005, and prosecutors were trying to send a message. They immediately sought a life sentence in hopes of sending a message to any other officer who may have been thinking about engaging in inappropriate conduct on the job. And the prosecution laid out their case clearly. They shared with the jury that Rios left the police station at around 4.45 a.m., but according to his wife, he didn't arrive home until 5.30 a.m. I want you, Olivia, to keep those times in your mind because we're going to break those down a little bit further as we go in. Prosecutors argued that it was during that gap that Rios went to Jesse's home looking to engage in sex. They believe it was then that Jesse became confrontational, either about the marriage or his record not being expunged. And when he threatened to expose Rios, that's when Rios turned murderous. They admitted the DNA from under Jesse's fingernails and the hairs found on his body. But additionally, the prosecution pointed out that Jesse was strangled by a lateral chokehold. And Olivia, do you know who is trained to do lateral chokeholds? Police officers. That is correct. The lateral chokehold is specifically what police officers are trained to use. So that's a red flag and a half right there. I mean, Rios, a.k.a. Anderson or whatever, is guilty. And that's what I'm thinking as I'm going through. But the defense stated that while, yes, Rios had been having an affair, he was never at Jesse's home that night. They also argued that there had been no cell phone calls or texts between the two men on the night of the murder. Now, Rios's wife also testified on his behalf, but it wasn't enough. After four days in the courtroom, the jury deliberated for about 14 hours, and then they returned their verdict. Stephen Rios was found guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, however, two years later in 2008, a judge ruled that the testimony of Jesse's friend was hearsay. Rio's conviction was thrown out and a new trial date was set. This time, prosecutors continued to focus on the DNA evidence and the gap in time between leaving the station and arriving home. In fact, prosecutors had made the drive several times to time out exactly how long it would take. So this is where I told you we were going to kind of dive in. So he left the police station at 445. He arrived home at 530. Yeah, we got a 45 minute time window we have to account for right now. Right. So the drive from the station to Jesse's apartment took roughly two and a half to three and a half minutes, depending on traffic. While the ride from Jesse's apartment to Rios's home only took seven. So let's say on average three minutes. That is 10 minutes worth of, hey, if I leave the station, go home, that's 10 minutes. That leaves roughly 35 minutes of time unaccounted for. When you pair that with the lateral chokehold, you know, getting into an argument doesn't take much, you know, doesn't take much time. You can do a lot of damage in 35 minutes. Oh, yeah. I would imagine the argument happened as soon as Rio showed up at Jesse's house and then it just escalated from there and it would probably went rather quickly. Right. Especially if he was showing up looking for, you know, some kind of sexual behavior, sexual favor, yeah. something. And then Jesse came at him hot out the gate. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it probably just escalated from that point. Right. Now, additionally, prosecutors also argue that Rios had been acting suspicious on the day of Jesse's death. The station system analysts testified that Rios had used his department identification number to access police dispatch records at around 3.20 p.m. on June 5th, 2004. So remember, Jesse was found on June 5th in the morning at 3.20. He's at a substation at work trying to pull up dispatch records at about 3.20. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, at this time, the interesting thing is that records would have shown that there was an active death investigation into a body with a large wound on its neck. 
A computer at the same substation was used earlier that same day at about 10.30 a.m. using a generic personal number. So what they believe is he signed on to both of those computers to see if there have been any updates through dispatch, like if the body had been found. But what's interesting is that using the generic number, it would only allow him to see dispatch records. So he would sign in generically. He would see the dispatch records, but it wouldn't log that it was him specifically. Now, Rios admitted to being at the computers at that time, but stated that he was writing a memo uh, for work at that time. But the defense stuck to their story, and they pointed out that being a homosexual and adulterer were not a crime. Rios's wife again testified on his behalf, as well as other officers who claimed that Rios had been out drinking with them. But in the end, Stephen Rios was found guilty in December of 2008, this time of second-degree murder. So he was originally found guilty of first-degree murder. 2008 trial, he was found guilty of second-degree And on January 16, 2009, Rios was sentenced to life in prison for the murder, plus 23 years for armed criminal action. He actually has the possibility of parole in 2049. Now, in 2010, Rios appealed his conviction, saying that he was denied effective legal assistance from his lawyers. Specifically, Rios argued that more defense witnesses should have been called to testify, including himself. However, in 2011, Boone County Court Senior Judge Frank Conley ruled against Rios. In his ruling, Judge Conley said attorneys Gills and Leonard worked with Rios and discussed whether he would testify and that it was his choice not to do so. And because of this, the appeal and the motion were dismissed. So he is still in prison. And that is my case for this week. What are you thinking? Where you're at? Let's talk about it. This was wild and crazy. It was really good. It kind of kept me on my toes. At first in the beginning, I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. This officer killed him. But like, this was a whole thing of him having like a stolen badge and going, you know, the witness thinking his name was Anderson. I still, even though that they, you know, redid the trial, I still feel like the, the witness testimony was pretty solid. Yeah. And I feel like hearsay gets a little tricky. Like, I don't know if you remember, but we recently did the case of Karen Strom and she was the one who was found sexually assaulted and murdered in her bedroom Mm -hmm. and her husband came home from work Mm -hmm. and then it turns out it was a guy that her husband had worked with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but right. they tried to use evidence from a coworker saying that she had been strangled. Like I had this conversation with her and she was saying that, you know, Steve Strom had, had beat her pretty bad and almost strangled her to death. And they had to throw that out because that was hearsay, you know? So it's yeah. like, I'm sure as a detective, you're running across witnesses who seem credible, but then you have to work with these prosecutors and figure out like, can I actually use this? And this would really help, but now I got to throw it out. It just seems like it's a nightmare of a process, you know? Yeah, well, this was a great case. I think if we're talking deadbolt test, this isn't really scary to me. I was glad to hear that this wasn't a a murder because of his sexuality and, you know, some sort of hate crime. But I think that it is just wild that someone who's like a trained police officer that is like takes an oath to like as a medical professional, you say do no harm. Like you're there to serve and protect and like take care of people, not kill them. Um, So that you know, puts it up there for me. But if I'm thinking like scary deadbolt, check my doors, I'm going to put it at like a two. But the coolness of this case, I'm going to put it at like eight. Yeah, I'm there with you. Like, I'm not checking my locks on this hmm. one. Like, I'm, I'm going to sleep pretty easy. But for me, I found this to be really interesting because of the societal questions that come with it. Right. Yeah. Like, because I know that we said like, hey, this is obviously they were in a romantic relationship. It's not a hate crime. But to me, it almost comes across as like a self hate crime. Where it's like this, 
this police officer loathes what he was so much or wanted to keep that so hidden mm-hmm. that it was worth killing somebody over that people didn't find out. Yeah. That you don't that you're not living that life. Right. And I don't necessarily know if like him just having an affair, like if he was having an affair with a woman, like would he have killed that woman? Probably not. Maybe I don't know. know. It's speculation. Yeah. But it seems like it was more so like, I don't want this side of me getting out. And especially with the arrest and then abusing his power to get those sexual favors from the jump. I think to me, that's where it's like, this is something that lives in my shadow in my closet and I'm in this position of power so that I can get this from you. And it just didn't go the way that he wanted, you know? And then I think it drives more questions about like, you know, I have friends who are police officers, you know, and it's like, they're very masculine. I'm a guy's guy and I've got to be at my partner's got to have my back. So like, right. If there was, if your sexuality comes into question, do I still feel now that you have my back or are things going to be different? I think there's a lot of like, yeah, there's a lot of different ways. Yeah. There's a lot of avenues that that could go and who knows what Rios was thinking. And, you know, we may never know, but he definitely killed poor Jesse and a life was lost for no apparent reason. And I'm, I'm kind of glad that the court system used him as an example. I mean, yeah. he is a criminal. He murdered somebody. He is no longer an officer. He is not their brother or, you know, their partner or whatever they are to each other. But he's guilty of murdering an innocent man. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, it's it's just interesting because his story has not changed since he's been arrested. His story has been the same consistently. And his wife has they've since gotten divorced mm-hmm. and they didn't really dive into this much. But like I know when Derek Chauvin was found guilty of murdering George Floyd, he and his wife divorced as well. And I remember reading it was more about like assets Mm-hmm. Like if we get divorced, then you don't lose everything. You know what I mean? Like right. you don't lose everything. Um, so I don't know if it was something like that because his wife still to this day is like, he's innocent and defends him, you know, but it's like when you have that kind of DNA evidence, when there's so many pieces of the puzzle that that point to like, you did this, you know, it's, it's hard to walk away from this and feel any differently, you know? Yeah. Well, it was a great case. I like the ones where they just take a turn and I have no idea. I'm waiting for the day where you're like, this case sucked. <laughs> John, I didn't really like this one. Not, this I'm one not was feeling terrible. It. We're going to record another one. But, well, I'm glad that you liked it. And hopefully the listeners liked it too. And that's where, you know, I guess if I had to put it in a number, yeah. I'm going to put it at a two as well. Okay. But that's where we're falling. Olivia and I are both coming in out of two on the deadbolt test. Not really under our skin so much, but it is really, really interesting. But as always, we want to know where does the death of Jesse Valencia fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you are not in our Facebook group, do yourself a favor. Come hang out with us. It is the best place on the internet. I say it every week. Olivia, did you see that new meme that Kevin dropped in the chat? Kevin from Georgia? Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> Peace Kiwiski is like my new thing now. I'm trying to fit it in where I can. So thank you for that, Kevin. Peace Kiwiski, if you're listening. I'm not even going to um, tell people what else it says because they need to go join the Facebook group. Yeah, definitely check it out. Come hang out with us. I know we talked about it a little bit in the beginning of the episode, but it has been so amazing to see this community grow and to see all these good people from so many different places kind of come together. And just to know that this silly little show gets to be a part of that. It's, I don't know, it's just, it means so much. So don't want to harp on it too much. I know we spent a little bit of time talking about it at the beginning of the episode, but if you're in our Facebook group, drop it, let us know. We would love to hear from you. Olivia, calling all cars, calling all cars. <laughs> this case was intense. I need a 911 immediate five-star review. You got one for us? 
I do. This week's five-star review is from AJW6. They said, this is my favorite podcast. Every Monday and Wednesday on my way to work, I listen. I discovered this podcast when I heard Olivia from MAFS had one. I was like, I have to check it out. So glad I did. John and Olivia work so well together, and I love how they care so much about their listeners. Keep up the great work. So thank you, AJW6, for leaving us this lovely review. We're happy you listen. I'm happy you found the podcast. So shout out to you. Let us know who you are so we can send you some cool swag. Yes, AJW6, echoing exactly what Olivia said. Thank you for taking the time to leave us that review. I know we talk about it every single week, but we're busy people with busy lives. We have responsibilities and families and friends and things that we need to get done. So the fact that you were able to take just a couple of minutes out of your day and sit down and write that review, it truly means the world because I know there was probably 10 other things you had to do at that time. So thank you so much for doing that. We really do appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. And yes, please reach out to us. We would love to send you some stuff. We have some really cool car window stickers coming. You can yeah. You know, hang them up in the back of the car, stuff like that. They actually stick to the inside so the weather doesn't mess them all up and stuff like that. So those are coming in soon. We would love to get some sent out to you. We got stickers, pins, all sorts of stuff. So again, reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're in our Facebook group, give us a holler. Let us know what you creep into our DMs. We would love to send you some stuff. If you are not a social person, you can head over to checklockspod.com. Hit that email button. Drop us an email. Let us know it's you and where to send those goodies. And Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the Check the Locks podcast, what's the best way to do that? Well, they need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app, go to our show's homepage, scroll all the way to the bottom where you see all five stars, click all five stars, leave us just a one-liner, tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. We love seeing this. This makes our show be noticed on the podcast platforms. So leave us a review. And again, got to echo exactly what Olivia said. These Reviews help us in ways that we cannot put into words. They help us get into other shows, recommendations. They help us to grow our audience, our community, our family. So if you have left us a review, thank you so much for doing that. If not, you can use the link in the show description for this very episode as a cheat code. Click that link. It'll take you. You can just do five star podcast. Good. That's all you got to do. Just go ahead and drop it. (laughs) We'll read it. We'll send you some stuff. I feel like I should have a voicemail this week. We don't have a voicemail. And you know what, guys? We need more voicemails. So while you're over at checkthelockspod.com sending us emails, click that voicemail button. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you sound like because I hate hearing Olivia sad. Can we just get some voicemails for the poor lady? That would just make her day. I'm so sad. And as always, if you are interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Check the Locks pod. Get signed up today. We have plenty of awesome tiers. You can get exclusive stickers, ad free episodes, T-shirts, all sorts of stuff just for being a patron. So if you're liking what you're hearing, you want to get the episodes a little early without any ads. That is a great way to do it. And if you just want to throw us a couple bones, help us keep the lights on. We would greatly appreciate that as well. And while we are talking about the Patreon, I did want to take a moment to shout out some patron members because we had two new people join this week. So Carissa, welcome to the patron family. Thank you so much for your support. Alicia, Welcome. We are so happy to have you, Alicia Kay. We got Stacy. We got Lisa, Gail, Stephanie, Trish, Pam Armstrong. Pam signed up for Patreon before it was ever even public. I don't know how she found it, but she was like, yeah, here you go. I'll help you out. So thank you 
so much for being willing to support us. We really appreciate it. And if you want to join that list, you want some shout outs, feel free to join again, this patron.com forward slash check the locks. And if you cannot join the patron, we definitely understand times are what they are. Everybody's situation is different. And we have to tell you just listening to the show and sharing it with your friends and family means just as much, if not more. So if you're listening every week, you're hanging out with us, you're telling your friends, Hey, check out this little silly podcast. They just hit episode 50. That means so much to us more than words could ever say. So if that is you, you're hanging out with us, you're sharing it. Just know we truly appreciate you. We love you more than we could ever tell you. That is it for this week's case. But please make sure you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Calling on cops. Calling all cops. Peace. Peace. <laughs>